Hello, this is Trevor Smith welcoming you to the June 2014 edition of Audio Mission from the Church Mission Society. Communication is really the theme of this edition. We'll be hearing from Tim Curtis about translating the Bible into the mother tongue of indigenous people in Paraguay and also meeting some of the delegates at CMS's annual Africa conference gathered to learn and share about all God is doing across that continent. But first we hear from CMS mission partner Sarah Afshari, who's been leading Sat7 Pars, the Farsi-speaking Christian TV channel, from its inception in 1995. CMS's Naomi Steinberg asked her how she got into broadcasting in the first place. Actually, broadcasting was not part of my plan at all. Broadcasting came to plan uh, in 2011 when um, Sat7 was thinking to add another language to their Arabic language and another group of Iranian called ICB, Iranian Christian Broadcasting, they were thinking to start Farsi Broadcasting using Sat7 platform. These two groups, they need someone to come, especially Sat7 needs someone to come and start this and liaison with them and in this one. And that is why, because that time I was uh, uh, in a mission training, CMS mission training, and CMS suggests whether I like to join Sat7. And when uh, I felt okay, I'm Iranian and I know the needs, and uh, I already have I didn't have media background, but I had a Persian literature background, I had theology background, I had management background, and all this, I thought maybe I can use them all together and then the media would come along with itself. That start from there. So when you were um, encountering Jesus, was there any um, sort of Christian media available to you at the time that you know of? No, actually, when uh, I become a Christian, there was no, I mean, there was some Christian radio, but I didn't know about them. I never really listened to any Christian radio in Iran. And there was not many books. I mean, for example, even in small small group, we didn't have enough Bible among ourselves. And even when we wanted to evangelize, we didn't have any any materials to give to the people who are coming to the church. Or when we wanted to talk about Christianity, we didn't have enough material. And sometimes we would have to write the Bible verses. And sometimes I remember uh, we used to have Bible studies um, on Thursdays and uh, I think Tuesdays. And sometimes when we couldn't understand some part of the Bible, I used to cry. I says, okay, how, where can I find, go and find more about this? We were so limited. And that is why the idea of broadcasting came, uh, I saw it as a huge opportunity uh, for the people like myself. Says, okay, why should, at least I can be part of that to provide that opportunity for those hungry people to want to know Christ. Are there more Christians tuning in, more non-Christians? Are they older, younger, wealthy, not so wealthy? Um, How much are you able to sort of ascertain about the demographics of people who tune in? We believe the majority of our viewers are uh, young people, uh, mainly age, let's say, 18, 16, 18 to 40, 45. Although one of the amazing, we had a call from a city in Esfahan by a sociologist lady. She called us and said, you know what, I just wanted to tell you, I'm not a Christian, but um, I went to do um, a research among a, a group 
in a village, and to my surprise, I noticed majority of their elders, especially women, they are watching your program. I was asking myself, what programs you have which attract all these I mean, elderly women in that village? I just wanted to tell you. That, that was her interest, and she was very amazed to see that, and that is why she wanted to share it with us, although she herself didn't, she wasn't our viewer, and she became our viewer after she noticed that in that village. And it's hard to say, really. But if you ask me about, again, how many people are watching us, um, again, that's another difficult question. We think maybe sometime, somewhere between 2.7 million to 5 million. Given those numbers, I mean, a majority of them have to be not Christian then, I mean. Oh, yes, um, because if we are talking about Christian, depending on how really do we define Christian, who are Christians? We don't. I mean, if we're defining Christians as uh, some Iranian government defines, means Armenian Assyrians, and therefore their, their, num- their, their numbers are very few. And in that definition, majority, at least 99%, let's say 95% of our viewers are non-Christians. You know, you were saying, um, the, I forget the time span, was it six months you'd had 20,000 responses? Actually, in only six months, in six months, we had over 20,000 only phone calls and SMS SMS and uh, emails. One of uh, the calls which normally is difficult to handle for us is uh, when people become Christians and they are longing to be part of a community, uh, but sadly they cannot. I mean, another day I was at the office and our audience telephone rang and I picked it up and uh, another side of the phone was a woman was crying and then when then she started telling me she's having a kidney transplant and she she wanted us to pray for us and then i says okay we will pray and christ will be with you don't worry about that don't cry then she says no i'm not crying because i'm having a kidney transplant i'm crying because i become a christian and i don't have community to be part of i am longing to be part of a community and i love christ but i don't have anywhere I can be part of that. And my daughter and the son, they both become also Christian, but we are so lonely in our faith. My cries from my loneliness. It that broke my heart. So this woman is so trusting God that much, even though she's not worried about her kidney transplant because he knows Christ is with her. Yet her loneliness, not having a Christian community, is that huge, make her to cry. And I think that kind of thing is, is, is so difficult to handle when you don't know how to create community for those people to, be, to they are coming to Christ. And that must be a huge need. It's a huge need, it is. Let's pray especially for those believers in countries like Iran who find it so difficult and dangerous to be a part of a Christian fellowship. In the UK, thank God, we do have the freedom to meet together as followers of Jesus. And every November, a crowd of people with a particular love for mission in Africa do just that, at CMS's Africa Conference. As the booking office opens for the 2014 conference, we hear from a few of the people attending in 2013 as they gathered to share news, meet mission partners and hear from the keynote speaker, the Reverend Joe Capolio. It's the end of lunchtime at the Africa Conference. I'm here now with Elizabeth Mutahinduka, Liz Wadland, Paul Darrell, Peter Chester, and Esther Mutahinduka. So, what are you enjoying about the conference, Esther? I'm enjoying the fact that I get to meet so many people. 
who are passionate about mission in Africa. And Elizabeth? I think for me the main thing that I'm enjoying is just getting to meet people who've had an experience in Africa, had an experience in places where I grew up, um, an experience I've never had, um, so that's really interesting. And Esther, you have an interest in mission and you worked in DR Congo? Yes, I was in uh, Mahagi which is northeastern Congo. I was there for 11 months. With CMS? Yes, it was with CMS. What did you enjoy about it? I enjoyed getting to meet new people, and uh, it took me out of my comfort zone. So I enjoyed the challenges and having to learn a new language, which was French. So, and the singing and dancing. And what are you hoping to do from that experience? Are you going to be working with young people now in the UK, Uganda? Um, At the moment, I think I would love to go back to Uganda. That's where I'm originally from. So I I love community work, so I'm looking to see if I could get involved in that, community health work. Uh, So that's what I'm thinking about next. Paul, what have you enjoyed so far about the conference? Oh, I think it's just meeting all the different people who I've met in different places before and finding out where they're up to and what they're doing and so on. You've just told me that you first heard about the Rwanda mission back in 1970 when you were a student. Yes. So you've got a long history with CMS. Yes, yes, I had a vacation to spare and a CMS missionary, John Whitlock, arranged for me to visit and for me to go to Rwanda and Burundi because at the time he couldn't get a visa to go there and visited various hospitals and met a lot of the missionaries. And, of course, half of them are here, so it's wonderful. I've been involved in a number of hydroelectric projects, one at Kisizi uh, and one to support Shira Hospital in Rwanda, and we've got more in the pipeline, as it were. And um, it's, it's just exciting, all the opportunities that there are. Uh, also involved with Flame International in their reconciliation teaching, uh, which is absolutely marvellous. And, Liz, what brings you to this Africa conference? I thought it would be really a fantastic opportunity to come because my love is really for Africa and that's CMS introduced me to Africa and I had the opportunity for working in Kenya for a a little while and I felt it was a while since I'd had an opportunity just to see what is happening in in Africa and this conference seemed like a really great opportunity and so it's my first time to come to this conference and it's proved to be a really really good experience with lots of lovely conversations and very interesting presentations and Joe Capolio was absolutely superb and stimulating and challenging and um, challenge our thinking I think about mission and understanding and the whole African cultural context and how we can or can't do or don't actually make sense of it. So in many, many ways, it's proved to be a really worthwhile weekend. What have you enjoyed about the conference so far, Peter? Two things, I think. Firstly, the talks being given by the guy who was at All Nations. It's just very interesting hearing an African perspective and his views. What would he say about our culture and our understanding of faith? He's talking about the African understanding, and that's fascinating. 
and also just hearing about what God is doing in different parts of Africa is just so exciting and encouraging. And can you very briefly say what your involvement with CMS is? We were out in Democratic Republic of Congo for six months earlier in the year in the Diocese of Aru. We want to go back to, to Aru, not for as long again, but keep, keep going back and keep involved with the work there um, and do whatever we can, really. It's tea time at the Africa Conference, and I'm here with... Ruth Villella. Who is married to... Ephraim Villella. Why are you here, Ruth? Uh, we're uh, mission partners with CMS, and we were um, in, in South America, in Brazil, but we're, we've been back in the UK um, doing training, and um, we're now actually joining up with CMS Africa. So um, FRM started a secondment um, with CMS to Opportunity International Microfinance um, Christian NGO. So we're, we're here to get to know the Africa side of CMS. And will you be based in Africa? Yes, uh, eventually, not for another year and a half, but eventually we're going to be um, placed in probably Kampala, Uganda. So um, it's been really good actually to meet people that are already there. Very interesting concept to go from uh, taking a mission from sort of Latin America uh, via England to Africa. Yeah, um, I went out to Brazil as a, um, a mission partner um, about 10 years ago now, and then I met my husband Ephraim there, who's Brazilian, and um, he felt called to, to go into mission as well. Um, yeah, so we've, um, uh, we've been here training, and we were just praying and waiting on the Lord for the right job to fit our skill mix. You can book your place now for the 2014 conference. This November, the main speaker will be the new Bishop of Durham, the Right Reverend Paul Butler. Details can be found on the CMS website at cms-uk.org slash events. Now we travel to the heart of the Paraguayan Chaco in South America. Here, 30 years ago, mission partner Tim Curtis first arrived, without a clue that all these years later, he would have translated the entire Bible into the Enclet language, meaning that these indigenous people could read the scriptures in the language of their heart. Jeremy would have met him and asked him about those distant beginnings in mission. I knew that God wanted me to work in, in Paraguay. I'd had a dream about it, in fact, a number of years before I went to Paraguay. In fact, I went to do something totally different to teach English at a language school in Asuncion. And um, I was asked to, to um, if I'd consider working as a volunteer uh, in the Chaco amongst the Antlet Indians in, in some of the primary schools that... The, that um, the Anglican Church was running in those days and um, when I got there I knew immediately that was the place that I'd seen in my dream which I'd had at a time when I had been quite low in my life and um, it was as though God had been saying look this I'm going to give you something specific to do something that you will enjoy doing something that will be a challenge but you will be with people who you like working with and so I, I knew immediately when I got there that that was the place that I was uh, meant to be now, Bible translation, that wasn't clear immediately. I was actually just helping out in some of these very small primary schools, some of which were on big cattle ranches. They were dotted around different parts of the Chaco, and I, and to get to some of them, I had to get on a horse and, and, and ride for seven or eight hours to get there. But it was that that brought me into contact with the Enclit language. At that time, there was a, there was a project called the Larencia Project, which was buying back land for, for the Enclit Indians who'd, who'd lost land from about the 1930s onwards they'd become landless and so this was a one of the Ang Anglican Church's project to, to restore land and in fact the director of the project said um, look 
uh, we think you should be involved in, in Bible translation. There's um, work on the New Testament being uh, done at the moment, but we would like you to take on this, this project. To the Enlit people, it said also um, that they matter as a people, um, that um, having God's word in, in, in the language of their heart is, is important to them. Remember, they are a marginalized people. They have been historically in the past. Uh, of course, things have improved greatly since even the time that I, was, that I um, went to Paraguay in the, in the early 80s. But it says that you matter. And I think that's true for all of us, um, that God loves us and says that we, we matter, and that he's working his purposes out and he wants to involve us, you know, his, his children. And he's bringing people in from, from every corner of the world. Now, I'm interested in the process of mm-hmm. translation as well. So we have our picture of you sitting at your computer screen. Mm-hmm. You work with local Antlet uh, colleagues mm-hmm. on this. How does the, the process work? I suppose you go through different stages. Right at the beginning of the project, you want to make sure that your translators can also speak. In, in our case, it has to be Spanish, because that's where all the training the training is going to be done in Spanish. So before you're even translating, you spend several years looking for translators and then uh, organising workshops and seeing how they can cope with Spanish, uh, because without that, they won't get very far. Their first contact w- w- with the biblical text will be, will, will be in Spanish. If they've not had secondary education, you're not going. You, you're, the, the nearest you'll get to Hebrew is using a Hebrew-Spanish inter, interlinear. Um, so the first couple of years you spend looking for your translators, and then when you found them, in our case we whittled it down to three uh, translators from a group of about, I suppose there were over a dozen of us, then assigning uh, different books of the Bible to, to each translator um, and seeing how they cope to start, to start with. Now my job was to make sure that I could actually understand what they were writing in Enlit uh, and see how, how that you know, compared with what the Bible was saying in, in, what the Bible says in Spanish so there were a lot of a lot of practice drafts to start with and a, a lot of looking at computer screens obviously because um, you have the texts in you have different versions of the Bible in Spanish and they're translating into Enlit they work on those drafts you check those drafts with them individually maybe several times uh, then uh, later on, you meet together as a group. The translators meet together, and um, for example, we have got a data projector. We, the draft is projected up onto the screen, and we sit down together, uh, and we go through the text verse by verse. Uh, we also, um, when we feel that there's a reasonably good draft, we um, we print that out, and then we have uh, checkers based in different Enlit-speaking communities who who get those drafts, and we get feedback from them. A lot of reading out aloud of text to see if if they flow properly. So if if they're not flowing properly, if people are stumbling when when they're reading, then you realise perhaps perhaps that's a sign that you need to look at your text or the structure or the whole paragraph. Mm. It's 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 a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. Give thanks with us for all Tim and the translation team have accomplished, and for the final checking and publication stages that all might go smoothly. Now Lisa Lewis of the CMS Church Relations team brings us her reflection on what we've heard. What has struck me in listening to both Tim and Sarah speak is the importance of language in the sharing of the gospel. For the message of God's love to be understood, people need to hear it in their own language. Since Anglican missionaries arrived in South America at the beginning of the 20th century, churches have grown because of this vital translation work. 
This has also seen a growth in the number of indigenous people now leading churches and church plants, particularly in the Chaco regions of northern Argentina and where you've heard Tim speak about in Paraguay. For Sarah, it's about using the languages in a different way. Mass communication across the Middle East and North Africa with its own diversity of languages. The use of media with an organisation like Sat7 is of course helping to bring the gospel into the homes of millions of people, again in their own languages. Through the Farsi language, Sarah is bringing hope of a better future to millions of people in Iran and throughout the wider Persian-speaking world, as they can hear the gospel in their own language. I'm reminded of the passage in Acts 2, familiar I'm sure to many of you. It speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? I believe that when we talk about the gift of tongues, we are talking much wider than just the gift of a heavenly language, as some have but that this gift of tongues also includes those with a natural flair for language learning and then those who go on to use that gift for the building up of the kingdom, like Tim and Sarah, who we've been hearing from today, and many others like them who are bringing the good news of Jesus to people in their own languages and seeing lives changed as a result. Lisa Lewis bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. Thank you for your prayers and join us next time to hear more from the voices of CMS Mission around the world.